Don't cry for me, Godric's Hollow. The truth is, I never left you. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club that's surprisingly good for you. Batilda had moved close to him in those few seconds of darkness, and he had not heard her approach. You are Potter, she whispered. Yes, I am. She nodded slowly, solemnly. Harry felt the Horcrux beating fast, faster than his own heart. It was an unpleasant, agitating sensation. Have you got anything for me? Over here. I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. It should have been the Harry Potter book club for Peronistas. Are there Peronistas who are listening to this? Probably not. Are there I don't still know. Peronistas? I don't think there are Peronistas I'm, anymore. I, well, our listeners in Argentina will let us know. We clearly just watched the musical Evita at New York City Center over, not over the weekend, on Friday night. I guess that's the weekend. And we cannot stop singing those songs. Yes, it's a total earworm. So uh, this is now an Evita podcast. It's not, but it is still a Harry Potter book club. This week we are just reading one chapter, partly because it is maybe one of the singularly great chapters of the entire Harry Potter canon. And also because both of us have had a long week and we have long weeks ahead of us and we can only do one. So this week we are reading the epic chapter called Bathilda's Secret. Yeah, sorry about the misdirection in the last episode. Uh, That might happen going forward as these chapters get epic. There might be some episodes where we just do one chapter. Anyway, sorry. Please proceed, Heather. From Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, is what I was going to say. <laughs> I, cut you, I really cut you off there. In case you forgot what book we're in. Yes. You will hear, I think, a lot of cursing because this chapter is deeply fucked up. And some spoilers. And the main spoiler is the actual worst. <laughs> and some adult themes. This week's adult themes are dying alone, historical preservation, taxidermy, graffiti, and trick or treaters who are way too old. Do you thought that you think that one's really funny? I chuckled. Alex, what happened? In this week's chapter, Harry and Hermione are leaving the graveyard where they were visiting uh, Harry's parents. They think they hear someone or something, so that's spooky. But as they start to look for Bathilda Bagshot's house. Remember, they're looking for Bathilda Bagshot because they think that's where Dumbledore left the Sword of Gryffindor for reasons. It's never quite, why do they think that again? They're just basically out of ideas. Their theory, it's sort of a Bathilda Bagshot, like we said before. I can't believe um, you repeated that joke. Not it's only a did you... funny joke. Sure. I think they're just like, well, we literally know nothing else, so let's check. <laughs> Which is fair. I mean, yeah. Leave no stone unturned. As they begin looking for Bathilda's house, they also have no idea where Bathilda lives. Because I guess wizards don't have phone books. You'd think there'd be, like, a directory. Oh, I guess, why would they have phone books? They don't have phones. Muggles don't have phone books anymore. What are you talking about phone books? Well, this is the 1990s. Everybody had the phone book. How would they have gotten a Godric's Hollow phone book? Maybe they would call it the fucking library? I don't know. I mean, whatever. You can't... They wouldn't have phone books because they don't have phones. But maybe fire books? They'd be called? Flu books? Flu books! Anyway, they have no idea where fucking Bethilda lives. I guess they're just gonna knock on doors. 
I don't know what their plan was for finding this house. Besides just, I don't just shouting like, Bathilda Bagshot! So they're looking for Bathilda's house, right? Uh, when they find the ruins of Harry's childhood home, it was blasted apart, of course, uh, when Voldemort cast the killing curse that backfired and sent him into weird ghost limbo. And it's also invisible to muggles. We know all this because someone has installed a but 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 motherfucking interpretive plaque. <laughs> That's one of Alex's favorite things on this earth. I will you stop to read an interpretive plaque. Any interpretive plaque that presents itself to me. So the fact that there, I had completely forgotten that there was. There's been several interpretive plaques in this book so far. So. Frankly, Deathly Hallows has been vaulted to the top of my list of Harry Potter books, solely on the strength of its interpretive plaques. And this one is really good. It says, on this spot on the night of 31 October 1981, Lily and James Potter lost their lives. Their son Harry remains the only wizard ever to have survived the killing curse. This house, well, I, I don't have to read the rest of the interpretive plaque. Go look it up and read it for yourself. But anyway, it's a monument to the Potters. The plaque is, or the sign, it might not actually be a plaque. I don't, what's this thing made out of? Alex, I don't know. It doesn't matter, yeah. No, it doesn't. <laughs> the interpretive plaque. Oh my god. I'm gonna cut a lot of this out. <laughs> I think you should leave it all in. The so people know how much you are just saying the words interpretive plaque. The interpretive plaque is covered in graffiti uh, by folks wishing Harry luck and just saying like, wherever you are, Harry, we're with you. Harry is very touched by this. Hermione says they shouldn't have written on the interpretive plaque, except she doesn't use the words interpretive plaque, but she says they shouldn't have written on this. So that's very, that's very Hermione thing to say. At this point, while Harry and Hermione are looking at the interpretive plaque, they realize that they're being watched by an old woman who clearly must not be a muggle because otherwise she wouldn't be able to see the interpretive plaque or the ruins of the house, they realize that it's ba 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 motherfucking Batilda Bagshot, who is creepily beckoning to them. They <laughs> it's so scary already. The, the word beckon is just creepy in itself. Oh like nobody nobody ever beckons in a not kind of creepy way. Right? Yeah, I just it's like a Mrs. Danvers yeah. situation. It's no good. I recently describe someone I forget who I described but I think it was someone that I like as having a Mrs. Danvers vibe and nobody at work knew what I was talking about and so I had to make them look up stills from Rebecca and they were like oh that's a fucking <laughs> terrifying and really mean thing to describe about a person but Thilda does not have a Mrs. Danvers vibe but no. that's a it's she's got her own thing her own thing so Harry and Hermione follow Bathilda to her house inside they notice immediately that she smells really bad, and her house smells really bad. Her eyes, are, she's described as her eyes are filled with cataracts, and her skin is like mottled and bruised. You can see her scalp through her hair, mm -hmm. which is such an old lady thing. And she's not, she's not saying anything. She's just sort of communicating via gestures. So, and her house is like, it's pretty like disheveled. It's more than disheveled. That's it's like disgusting. a very weak adjective. Yeah. yeah. Clearly no one has been in to check on her in a long time. So there's some creeping dread here. 
Uh, Harry also feels the Horcrux beating faster against his chest. Oh my god, that's such a scary detail. Which he thinks might mean that the object that's going to destroy it is near. Harry is wrong. Yeah, spoiler alert, super not. That's not why at all. <laughs> it's Her actually because there's another Horcrux in the room. But Harry's a Horcrux. Oh, that's true. But isn't Breaks Nagini one too? Yeah. Is that why? I think it's... so. Or maybe it just senses because it's Voldemort's soul that like knows something fucked up is Some, about yeah. to happen. It's so just it's like, like excited psyched. about like it being real bad in a second. It's spooky, and it's like, about to get so bad. There's some Telltale Heart shit going on there too. With yes. Like, so, with the with the beating. Fucking... At one point, it like physically like pulls off of his chest. Ooh, God, this chapter is so good. Okay, go on. <laughs> Harry also notices that a bunch of photographs in Bathilda's homes are missing from their frames, probably because Rita Skeeter took them for her book. But he recognizes one of the photos that's still there as the boy he saw with Dumbledore in Rita's book. So, a clue! A clue! Bathilda beckons Harry to come upstairs with her, seeming to want him to come alone. Ugh, Harry, no! Dude, do not violate the buddy system, Harry. Uh, Harry says, Hermione, I think Bathilda wants to talk with me by myself. Don't worry about it. She's an old lady. There's definitely not something deeply wrong with her. I'm actually getting, like, physically kind of freaked out All just thinking about this well. chapter. So Hermione leaves... So Harry leaves Hermione in the sitting room, I guess, to kick back with uh, Bathilda's books. Or, like, wash the molded dishes. Ooh, definitely not a good idea to split up. There's Death Eaters out there, man. Upstairs, upstairs, Bathilda finally speaks to Harry and asks, You are Potter? Harry says, Yes, I am. Uh, do you have something to give me? And he starts looking around for the sword of Gryffindor, which he thinks must be, like, underneath a pile of, like, laundry somewhere. There's all these, like rags everywhere like dirty clothes he thinks they're like dirty clothes it's uh and it smell i think it smells even worse up in the uh in the upstairs room because this bitch is dead there's like a cha <laughs> there's a chamber pot big spoiler that's, like, sticking out from under the bed this bitch is dead so all of a sudden harry's scar burns and he feels a surge of joy and he's saying hold him hold him he's back in lovo's head is that an out-of-body experience if you're in someone else's body? Out-of-his-own-body experience. So this should be a major red flag, but Harry continues this conversation anyway. Bathilda gestures at what looks like a pile of dirty laundry on the dressing table. Harry says, Harry asks again if if Bathilda has something for him. She says it's, it's right over there. But all of a sudden, then, Bathilda moves weirdly. That's a quote. And to Harry's horror, he sees her body collapsing and ba 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 motherfucking Nagini, the motherfucking snake, erupts from her neck oh. as her body collapses. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. So so that escalated quickly. Uh actually no, it been escalating. It didn't actually escalate quickly. No, it escalated it's building. over. It's building. It's the opposite of escalating quickly. That escalated steadily into a fever pitch of dread. Nagini seizes Harry, who is again aware of himself in Lovo's body, and he feels himself as Lovo flying toward the house. 
without a broom, just through the fucking air. Nagini briefly releases Harry as Hermione comes to his aid and starts sending curses at the snake. There's a snake battle, lots of broken glass and china as Harry and Hermione fucking duel this snake. Harry shouts that Voldemort is coming. Weirdly, this whole time, they look like two other people. They don't actually look like Harry and Hermione for this whole epic snake battle. They still look like the muggles. Yeah, that is weird. That is kind of strange. Um, they jump out the window and disapparate. Harry's scar bursts open with pain as they're escaping, and he feels himself as Lovo running, running through the disgusting bedroom and watching his prey disappear into the night. And Lovo just lets out a horrible, like, scream of fury. He's like, God fucking damn it. Not again. Not here where I had my worst defeat. Something about Godric's Hollow, man. Yeah, it's bad luck. Yeah. So Lovo is just, he's fucking feeling super sad. He's on an emotional journey. Harry's along for the ride. Uh, Lovo's basically like memory all alone in the moonlight. I can smile at the old days. I was horrifying then. It is an Andrew Lloyd Webber I was going to say, now. a lot of Andrew Lloyd yeah. Webber this week. <laughs> really bringing it with the Andrew Lloyd Webber. We are unironically excited about the Cats movie. I mean, that's also going to be horrifying, but I think in a satisfying way. The nation is not ready for the glut of memes that's going to come out of Cats. True. Anyway, this is a very important moment in this chapter, so <laughs> let's not talk about cats. So Harry Harry has another one of these weird inception moments where he's inside Voldemort's mind, and then he's watching Voldemort's memory. So Lovo is remembering the night that he killed Lily and James Potter. He remembers walking through the streets of Godric's Hollow. It's Halloween. A kid walks up to him and says, Nice costume, mister! And then gets freaked out when he sees what's underneath Lovo's cloak, which I guess is like... Lovo. Lovo, snake-faced dude. Um, he wouldn't be snake-faced yet. Isn't he? No, he is. Because he his body gets all weirded out from his like strange Oh, from the immortality thing. I forgot that. I thought I thought he got snake-faced yeah, after he does he comes like back. serious body mod. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, he has snake-faced. So kid gets freaked out. He thinks about killing that kid and how easy would it, it would be, and he just decides he doesn't really have fucking time. And I, yeah, he's like, one baby murder a night is enough for me. He approaches Lily and James's house with the Fidelius curse broken. He's able to see them through the window. James is making puffs of colored smoke come out of his wand to amuse Harry. Lovo blows the door open and says, Trick or treat, motherfuckers! He doesn't he do doesn't that. He doesn't actually say that. Uh, he probably just... He doesn't really have any really super dramatic catchphrases. He just is like, Yo, I'm Lovo. You killed me in the future. <laughs> Prepare to die. Voldemort quickly dispatches James and then goes upstairs where Lily is trying to barricade herself into Harry's bedroom. He blows open that door too and tells her to stand aside. She doesn't. When she doesn't, Lovo also murders her. He then contemplates baby Harry for a moment who starts crying. Lovo then raises his wand, says the killing curse, but as he casts the curse, he dissolves into pain and terror and nothingness. And now Lovo is back in the present, just 
thinking about how a baby wrecked his shit and how he's sad about that. And he looks down, though, and he sees the picture of the thief he's been looking for and thinks, a clue, a clue. Somewhere else in England, Harry comes to. They're back in the tent. Hermione has been caring for him. She treated his wounds. He got bit by the snake. The Horcrux was also stuck to his body after they left, and she had to use a severing charm to get it off. So that's also spooky as hell. Hermione dolefully tells Harry that his wand was broken in the fight. They try to repair it, but to no avail. Harry's wand is broken, and he no longer has the protection of the twin phoenix cores. And that's what happens in this week's chapters. Woof. So, <laughs> we're going to get to the fact that this is the most horrifying chapter in all of these books. But let's talk for just a minute about what you have, what you have obsessed, what you have several times maybe too many times, called an interpretive plaque. And a historically preserved ruin, or uh, is that the best way to put it? I mean, it is a ruin. And an archaeological site. It's not archaeological. I think, when I think of archaeology, that's like ancient civilizations. This is just a no, historic you do, you site. You can do archaeology on something relatively recent. I guess they're not doing archaeology there. So. This isn't archaeology. This is just historic preservation. Okay. Those are so it's totally preserved. different it's on disciplines. The mug it's on the magical register of historic places. A sign had risen out of the ground in front of them, up through the tangles of nettles and weeds, like some bizarre fast-growing flower, and in golden letters upon the wood it said, On this spot, on the night of 31 October 1981, Lily and James Potter lost their lives. Their son, Harry, remains the only wizard ever to have survived the killing curse. This house, invisible to muggles, has been left in its ruined state as a monument to the Potters and as a reminder of the violence that tore apart their family. And all around these neatly lettered words, scribbles had been added by other witches and wizards who had come to see the place where the boy who lived had escaped. Some had merely signed their names in everlasting ink. Others had carved their initials into the wood. Still others had left messages. The most recent of these, shining brightly over sixteen years' worth of magical graffiti, all said similar things. Good luck, Harry, wherever you are. If you read this, Harry, we're all behind you. Long live Harry Potter! Yeah, first of all, does the Ministry have, like, a National Park Service? This is an interesting kind of, like, government project we haven't seen before. Presumably this is the Ministry of Magic, although maybe it's, like, a local historic preservation, like the Godric's Hollow Something that Batilda was, like, on the board of, maybe. Yeah. I mean, the fact that Batilda lives there probably... Are we saying Batilda or Bathilda? I don't... I think I just keep using them alternately. Okay. As, like, Voldemort and Voldemort. Okay. What does Jim Dale say? I'm completely drawing a blank on how Jim Dale pronounces it. So we're just going to go back and forth willy-nilly, and if that bugs you, um, I'm sorry. How about Bat-Hilda? <laughs> Bat-Hilda bag shot. Well, it does make sense that the town that Bat-Hilda lives in would have a fair amount of historic preservation happening. They already have this memorial as well, so maybe this is like kind of her project. Yeah, it feels more national to me, but... Why? I don't... I mean, 
the downfall of Lord Voldemort is that shit's not like the old sawmill factory or whatever in town. It's of national import for the wizarding government, right? So it makes sense that the Ministry of Magic would step in here and take action to preserve this, especially as sort of a statement of principles. Although I disagree. I think the Ministry of Magic has tried fairly assiduously to erase evidence of the first Wizarding War and like talk about what happened to Harry's family as little as is humanly possible. Hmm, interesting. The Ministry of Magic does not seem to be very strongly invested in historic preservation, especially of this time period. So maybe this is like some guerrilla historian work or... Yeah. Well, well, I mean... There's a lot of like ministry erasure. You sort of of get the sense of that, that it's like a work of like... Popular history. Yeah, not like... That's not quite the word for it. Well, not popular history insofar as it's like... But like grassroots. Yeah. Because we have the interpretive plaque we have the graffiti of everyone kind of expressing their feelings and like sending harry well wishes which i think is really cool and uh i don't know that's like a that's a nice example of public history you know you can kind of engage with the uh with the site i think it is also an interesting moment for harry because i always like when we pull back a little bit and connect harry's personal tragedy to his historic significance because i think there's just this like constant cognitive dissonance of being Harry Potter that is a useful frame and a useful reminder of like all of the shit he's going through at the same time because to have had this incredibly profound personal experience of grief in the last chapter we talked about how it's a very beautifully written and very deep expression of Harry's grief that's very one-on-one and then to kind of pull back and the next thing he sees is like that loss in context yeah I really like when we get these reminders of the fact that Harry's grief is sort of not his own in a way that I think is common and complicated for victims of tragedies that have sort of like national or international import I mean that's the other thing here it's different from like a war memorial like on a battlefield yeah this is a very sort of like face-to-face, one-on-one murder. So to me, I mean, it reminds me a little more of what it might like might be like to be the family of the victim of like a mass shooting. Yeah. The way that grief manifests when your grief is really public is sticky and complicated and hard. And Harry has a lot of experiences where his pain is compounded by the publicity of his pain. Yeah. So every time we get that reminder, I just think it's interesting. I think I think the mass shooting analogy is pretty apt, actually, because, you know, there's really, whenever one of these tragedies happens, there's always really fraught conversations about what to do with the location where it happened. Yeah, sometimes people just have to fucking go back to school. Yeah, so. But also, you move on really quickly and I think that's an interesting thing about Harry Potter is that for a lot of people his fame is divorced from his tragedy like even his best friends like even Ron right who I think we were hard on in the last episode Ron is behaving like a fucking normal teenager and they're just not always great but even Ron sort of forgets like why his friend is famous and he sort of has this like 
contextless idea of Harry Potter. Yeah. And I think it's just always useful when we are able as readers and sort of Harry in his own psychological reckoning is able to put himself or see himself in context. Because I do think fame born of tragedy can become kind of context free and therefore sort of like more damaging in some ways. Right. It's like people forget why you're famous and then you're just famous and being famous is sort of fucked up in and of itself. Yeah. So anyway, just Harry visiting this memorial, this public memorial right after having the really private moment at his parents' grave to me is kind of a lovely juxtaposition. Yeah, it's interesting. You'd almost want more people to go to this site because it seems like everybody is vaguely aware of what happened to Harry Potter in the Wizarding World, but nobody ever thinks about it too hard. But isn't that how all societies deal with their history? Yeah. Like, people fucking take selfies at Yad Vashem. Right. Like, we're really bad at reckoning with the reality of historical tragedies. Yeah. And they become sort of, like, background noise, except for the people whose lives are torn apart by them. Yeah. I still think it's useful to have these places and... Oh yeah, no, I totally agree. It's just not surprising to me that it doesn't stop everybody in their tracks and make them immediately, like, remember the full, like, force of the war. Yeah. People, like, have picnics at fucking... Gettysburg. Yeah, Antietam and shit. Yeah. We actually... We took a... We did an inner tube ride through Antietam. Yeah, I mean... Antietam Creek, like not on the battlefield. No, we ended at the battlefield. Really? Yeah, we ended at the Burnside Bridge. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, see? That's fucking weird. I mean, that wasn't our plan. We weren't like, you know what would be dope? Let's like all go tubing through a battlefield. It just sort of like, that was like a good pullout place. I mean, a weird thing about a lot of Civil War sites specifically is it's some of the most beautiful parts of the country. Yeah. So like when we went to... We weren't at Gettysburg. What was, where were we? We went to Manassas. When we went to Manassas, for example, I was like, is it fucked up that this is gorgeous? It was like a beautiful day. It was these rolling fields. It was really surreal. So anyway, this is like neither here nor there in terms of like Harry Potter specifically. But yeah, I think the cognitive dissonance of experiencing a place where something really horrible happened and like not being able to give your full attention to that thing is, like, pretty natural. I do like that they left it a ruin. Me too. I think it's a good... To me, this whole sequence is a reminder that there's power in what we choose to preserve and how we preserve it. Because you can sort of erase Harry Potter, but it's very hard to argue with the ruins of his family house. And likewise, um, it's hard to argue with, like cabins on a plantation yeah it's true i mean you can be like a rita skeeter figure or or the sort of mouthpiece of the ministry and try to erase harry's contributions and legacy and whatever it is that you think he is or isn't but yeah you can't you can't physically blot out the reality of what happened to him and yes i think i mean broadly like public history is that's what it's good for. Yeah. It's just good to remind people that you can't, you can't like literally erase history. Well, you can. We have lots of times, but good historians and folks who think about this stuff 
try really hard yeah, to make sure that doesn't happen. There's just a lot of power in what you choose to elevate and call out and preserve or not preserve. So, you know, we see that in the Ministry of Magic with the fucking statue. And uh, now we see it here with Harry Potter. I'm kind of surprised this is still standing under Voldemort, which I guess is evidence that this is an act. Of, this is like grassroots preservation, not Ministry of Magic. So I think we're a little bit stalling. Yeah. This is interesting. <laughs> like, I, this, you know, this... Just is talking a- about interpretive plex to avoid the snake monster corpse fucking imbroglio. I do think historical preservation is interesting to both of us but not that interesting (laughs) let's talk about the worst thing in the book so we had snakes in a drain earlier in the series now we have snakes in a dame oh my god snake in a dame yeah single snake single dame she smelled bad or perhaps it was her house harry wrinkled his nose as they sidled past her and pulled off the cloak now that he was beside her He realized how tiny she was. Bowed down with age, she came barely level with his chest. She closed the door behind them, her knuckles blue and mottled against the peeling paint, then turned and peered into Harry's face. Her eyes were thick with cataracts and sunken into folds of transparent skin, and her whole face was dotted with broken veins and liver spots. He wondered whether she could make him out at all. Even if she could... It was the balding muggle whose identity he had stolen that she would see. The odor of old age, of dust, of unwashed clothes and stale food intensified as she unwound a moth-eaten black shawl, revealing a head of scant white hair through which the scalp showed clearly. Batilda? Harry repeated. She nodded again. Harry became aware of the locket against his skin, the thing inside it that sometimes ticked or beat had woken. He could feel it pulsing through the cold gold. Did it know? Could it sense that the thing that would destroy it was near? So this is one of the few moments of real horror writing in these books. There's a lot of peril. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of battles and danger and that kind of shit. You know, feats of daring do, dragons, whatever. But like, this is a really nice glimpse of the fact that J.K. Rowling can write like pure true horror this is inexpressibly upsetting and it builds so beautifully and one of the things I want to call out is like she describes that like stench of like I don't know I personally am very sensitive to smell yes you are it's like really quite extreme actually I don't know I don't know what I'm gonna do if I ever become pregnant because I can't imagine that it could possibly get worse But so that particular sensory detail for me was like incredibly intense and compelling and just imagining them walking into this house and being immediately assailed by the scent of death but like not quite able to identify the red flag that that should be. I don't know there's something just so literally dreadful about everything in this scene. It's just and she's not talking and her fucking scary cataract eyes. It's just... It's masterfully written. This is such a good scene. She does a great job just piling on to the sense that something is deeply fucked up. And where is this going to go? Oh, yeah. And you don't know. That's the other thing. Like, this is truly shocking. Yes. In a series where 
you get some shocking turns. This is one of those moments where you're like, what the fuck is even happening to me right now? Like, I'm having a physical reaction to how horrible this is. And I think it's compounded by the fact that everybody had been so resistant about going to Godric's Hollow, except for Harry. I don't know if there's a deep point to be made there, but... Oh, Harry was very wrong. I think Rowling taps into the terror around aging and, I mean, obviously, death. Uh, this book is all about death. It's Harry Potter and and the Deathly Hallows. But there's something horrifying, I think, in the idea that any of us could easily have, not Bathilda's, like, literal fate, but what happens to her is genuinely horrifying. What happens to Bathilda, even, even without the fucking, like, snake body snatcher aspect of it, is horrifying. No one's been checking in on her. I mean, she's totally abandoned. She's, she's clearly, she has, like, serious cognitive impairments at this point in her old age, and she's just kind of been, she's, yeah, left to herself. This is awful. And it is one of our most fundamental human fears. Like, if you ask people what they're most afraid of, like, dying alone is really high up there. And Bethilda has, in a way that is impossibly sad, outlived everybody who's ever cared about her. Which is, that's real horror. Like, I mean, that's the worst thing I can imagine. Mm -hmm. Other than having a snake live inside of my corpse. (laughs) But at that point, like, I wouldn't really fucking care, actually. I'd be dead. Yeah. But I do think... She is expressing a really elemental fear and kind of like tying it really nicely to this horrific scene. And the way that what that's what really great horror writing does. Right, yeah, it's about it's about your fear of something else. It's not about the fear of the fucking snake. Although yeah. it's snake also about scary. the snake. The snake is scary, but Yeah. But I mean this is just to me this says like JK Rowling is really good at pulling at doing what any good piece of horror does, which is taking a a part of the known world Mm -hmm. that people really deeply fear and making it unknown in a way that kind of compounds that particular kind of dread. But the other thing that's interesting to me is that like, you guys are going to hate this. Skip this if you don't want to talk about gender. (laughs) Just hitting the 30 on the iPhone like multiple times. (laughs) I do think it's worth noting that This is in really stark contrast to, like, the end of Dumbledore's life, who was also a fucking ancient and incredibly accomplished and important and beloved magician in this world and who spent his entire life piling up accolades and gaining followers and living in community. And Bethilda Bagshot, we are given to understand, is perhaps the most important wizard historian of her age. she's a big fucking deal. Like, she's she's a hugely influential scholar. She's like Barbara Tuckman. She's Robert Caro. She's, yeah. Like, this bitch should not have died alone. No. (laughs) Like, somebody should be paying attention to Bethilda Bagshot. And, you know, she's... But eventually, I do think all women become, if they're lucky enough to live into old age... All women become old ladies and all ladies get all all old ladies get treated as irrelevant in a way that old men don't. Or disposable. Yeah. I mean, I just think people view old women 
as completely divorced from anything that made them important or worthwhile when they were young in a way that really doesn't happen to men. And very, very, very few older women like escape that. But I mean, you even like, you know, this is fucking goofy, but even when you hear interviews with actresses who like turn 50 and they're like, I, it was like I was invisible. Like people literally stop being able to see you. You know, there's lots of great writing about this, but I think the contrast between Bathilda Bagshot's fate and some of the male kind of greats that we get, even like Nicholas Flamel doesn't fucking die alone and he lives for like a thousand years and people <laughs> still check on him. Like Dumbledore like calls Nicholas Flamel and is like, are you still alive? And are you still a thousand? So, ugh, okay, I'm done talking about the gender thing. I do think, first of all, just a side note, Bethilda Bagshot was old when Dumbledore was a teenager. How fucking old is Bethilda Bagshot? Just ancient. Like, and she doesn't have a Sorcerer's Stone. Like, women live way longer as a general rule, but like, this is insane. Dude, that's all Tai Chi. Yeah, girl was like doing her like sitting down, standing up exercises, her silver sneakers. Yeah. So Rita Skeeter has been my sort of like low-key unsung anti-hero as you all know and I know everybody disagrees with me and that's like mostly a point I have made to be inflammatory and funny although I did kind of like her this fully fucking cancels Rita Skeeter the like level of elder abuse that Rita Skeeter committed in order to like get the interviews with Bethilda Bagshot to put in her book is like actually fucking evil. She gives her Veritas serum, which actually seems to restore her to some form of lucidity. Which, that's an interesting question about how Veritas serum works. Veritas serum, Veritas serum, I'm totally off with my magical pronunciations today. Uh, Clearly, there are therapeutic benefits for dementia. Oh my god, like develop an Alzheimer's cure with this shit. Using Verita serum. Yeah, yeah, like extract whatever it is that sort of like reinvigorates the memory and like give it to muggles to treat, yeah, like dementia. I um, mean, they'd never give it to muggles, but we've already discussed that. Well, yeah, that's among the most immoral things about the wizarding world, but whatever. Although it does, I mean, you do hear of, you know, Folks with like early onset dementia have trouble like remembering what happened this week, but they can remember like events from 50 years ago, like incredibly clearly. So I still think there are probably therapeutic uses for Verita serum that some wizarding scientists should explore, but there's no fucking science. No, there's no science in the wizarding world. Um, But yeah, this is by far the worst thing Rita Skeeter does. This is way worse than like, I don't know, like low key implying that Dumbledore was a Nazi. And she takes all her shit. Yeah, she steals from her and she abuses her. It's awful. And then clearly just leaves her to die. Why do they need the photographs? I don't know. I don't think they have photocopies. I think you need the literal. She like pasted the literal photo. But they've clearly been copied into all the books. I don't know. She should have taken the photos back. She brought the book back. She sent her the book. Sent her I know, the picture. which is even more fucked up. Like, that is really gross. <laughs> it's got that bitchy note in it that says... But, like, she clearly knew she left Bathilda in a state where she probably can't even read. I mean, if she went into that house and was like, oh, like, this is the state this woman is living in, and then just, like, left her, like, that's elder abuse. That's evil. I mean, This I, is where I'm like, okay, Rita Skeeter is, like, actually a bad I guess guy. it's possible the house got really fucked up after Nagini took over... Bethilda's body? No, Bethilda fucking died. 
in that house. It's not Nagini's fault that like Bathilda died and everything went to hell. I don't think, well, we have oh, to talk about. Oh, wait a minute. You don't think Nagini killed Bethilda? No, Bethilda died. Bethilda was just dead? No, I think Bethilda died in her house and Nagini went and like fucking lived inside her corpse. Oh, I thought. Do you Nag- think Nagini killed her? I thought her? Nagini finished her off. Oh, okay. Well, you all have to weigh in here because. Because otherwise, otherwise Bethilda's body would have been way more decomposed. It is pretty decomposed. He describes it as like mottled and purple. Well, we don't know how long Nagini has been in there. It's. It's like a rotting corpse. Like, yeah. based on the description, yes, my understanding is that this was a body. This is a fucking decomp. Like, this is a body that had been there for a while that Nagini went and inhabited. Yes, I read it as Bethilda Bagshot died alone in her house and Nagini came and, like, resurrected her corpse. See, to me, Lovo and Nagini are just very murdery, so. Well, yeah, I mean, fair, but, like. Lovo wasn't like, oh, let's. Let's wait till she's dead. Well, maybe they didn't wait till she was dead, but maybe they like checked and she was dead. (laughs) So Nagini just got there, was like, well, I was going to kill this woman anyway, but I guess that's like one thing I can check off my list of things to do on this mission. I think it's scarier if she died and he just, Nagini, or she, Nagini just came in and was like, cool, here's a corpse to live in. You don't think it's scarier that Bathilda didn't have any idea what was going on? Fucking giant snake shows up and like squeezes the life out of her, which probably wouldn't have taken that much effort. But like, she just has no idea what's happening and she's being murdered by this snake. Tweet us or send us e-owls because I want to know what you all think. Yeah, I fully thought that Nagini came after she was already dead. Maybe there's some fucking Pottermore that explains this. I don't want to read that. (laughs) This This is all based on textual evidence. Um, this is, regardless of which of these things is true, this is a very weird plan. Was this Nagini's plan? Yeah, this seems like a snake thought up this plan. Yeah, this is like a three kids in a trench coat plan. Or, like, the cockroach, like, stealing the farmer's suit in Men in Black. Like, the giant alien cockroach. So you, you know? think Nagini was the one that suggested this? I, I, I don't know. I mean, this also, this chapter also raises questions... I don't know. I mean, it's a pretty fucking weird plan. You're just going to hang out? Like, Lovo just posted Nagini in, like, Godric's Hollow and, like, maybe Harry Potter shows up? I don't know. It seems like Nagini maybe has better things to do. Nagini has nothing to do. She's a fucking Horcrux. That's, like, important. Yeah, actually, the fact that he left a Horcrux alone. Just laying around. But I guess Nagini can, like, defend herself. But also... even still, yeah, now that you mention that, Leaving leaving a Horcrux by herself, like, unattended, and, like, what if they had just killed her? <laughs> First of all, you really wish they had just fucking killed like her if in animal scene. control showed up that or something. Been. No, no, no. If, like, Harry and Hermione had been like, fuck you, Nagini, and, like, I don't know, blasted her to death. Well, Harry says that later. He's like, God man, damn it. if Why we'd only kill fucking that killed God that damn fucking snake. snake. Okay, this is not, this is fully not canon. But I just want to like briefly raise the little flag that if Fantastic Beasts is allowed to be sort of entered into the discourse, Nagini is a human fucking woman. So J.K. Rowling is the actual queen of totally ruining her own world building. See, I like it better with the kind of reptile brain snake. Yeah. The snake sort of is speaking and it knows a little bit of English, but or it's not, English, not speaking English. It's tongue. speaking so, But I mean, you know, it, it like, but it doesn't really speak in a human like way it right like 
You don't have like a full conversation in Parcel Tongue. Yeah, with he these does. Snakes. Yeah, they. Voldemort talks to Nagini. But like full on conversations? Because Nagini doesn't really. Nagini well, we only know. says a few words. Like, you don't think. I know, but Nagini only says a few words because she doesn't want to tip Harry off to the fact that it's Parcel Tongue. Well, Nagini should have done some fucking research about Bathilda Bagshot to, like, have a slightly longer conversation, I feel like. Well, all in all... Just you are Potter? That that seems ominous. I mean, this whole fucking thing is pretty ominous. Yeah, I know. They but... don't really... They don't, like, skimp on the, like, ominosity here. I, I just Like, have... Nagini has no skin in the game of making this not Oh, she's not got plenty of skin scary. in the game. It's just Bathilda's skin. Oh, oh, oh. Um, <laughs> one last... Oh, sorry. I just, yeah, I don't have a good sense of Nagini's general level of intelligence. She seems more intelligent than your average snake, but, like, not quite full human, like, intellect level. But I don't know, maybe not, because snakes seem to possess, like, a higher level of intelligence in this world, because that one fucking snake Harry meets in book one is fucking bilingual. He says, thanks, amigo. I know. He didn't say gracias, amigo. Well, I think that might just be some weird essentialism. Um, no, I think that snake was bilingual. Maybe snakes enough. are smart as hell. Well, I mean... In Rowling's, like, imaginary. Trilingual? Because he's also saying both an English and a Spanish word in parcel tongue. This is, this is where Harry should have found this fucking snake and recruited him to his side, but I've... I'm just going to beat that drum yeah. forever. You always will miss the snake. A- ally snake. Well, there is sort of a hierarchy of like wizardy animals in the books. Like even by virtue of the fact that there's like only certain animals that you can bring to Hogwarts and they're all like vaguely like witchy animals. But there doesn't seem to be any like rhyme or reason other than their witchiness. <laughs> Snakes aren't on the list. Notably. Yeah. But, like, you can't have a dog because, like, dogs are pure as fuck and they're not witchy, <laughs> I guess. You can have a toad, which is weird, and they don't seem very smart. Like, Trevor's a moron. Trevor's the dumbest toad in school. <laughs> anyway, the animal stuff is all really interesting. I wish you could, like, maybe you could have a bat. Do we have bats here? Are bats witchy? It, it just says, it says in the Hogwarts letter. Owl, cat, toad. Yeah, those are your options, man. That's so weird. Okay, well, anyway, one last quick question is, why does Lovo fly rather than apparate to this scene? Like, that seems, it's like cooler, but it also takes way longer. It's like a classic supervillain mistake of like style over substance. He's like imagining Ride of the Valkyries like in his head. He's like humming it to himself as he's soaring through the sky. I don't know. He totally could have showed up to finish off Harry Potter by just apparating, but whatever. Yeah. I mean, we always need these little, like, tiny little plot sort of, like, pinpricks in order for anything in the plot to work. And that's just true of books. But it's just, like, just fucking apparate here. Imagining Lovo just running through this fucking house and then getting to the window seems, like, just really undignified. It's very like, and I would have gotten away with it if you it know? weren't for you. Or he's like tripping kids. over like China and shit like that. He's probably not wearing shoes. Ew. Ew. Why would he not wear shoes? I, Voldemort have doesn't you wear ever, shoes. Well, I mean, I don't think Voldemort is ever depicted as wearing like fucking shoes. Well, in he's never the depicted movies. as having 
feet, really. Well, he's definitely got feet. I know, but like we don't see his feet. We see his feet. I feel when? like in is well, he in the barefoot movie, go- in the movie Goblet of Fire? He's barefoot, but he just puts on the robe because you know he's naked when he gets out of the cauldron. Oh my god! Foot I don't think gate. he wears fucking shoes. Hashtag Voldemort's shoes. You know, he's not like. Fetch me some shoes, Wormtail. He must wear shoes. I don't think Voldemort wears shoes. I think he's above that. I think that's insane. I think that's a. I think that's a deranged okay, thing what, to suggest. What kind of shoes do you think boots. Voldemort wears? Boots. Okay, I could see that. I think he wears boots. Boots would look fucking stupid with a robe. Oh my God, you're just wearing a wizard what robe kind and of shoes boots. Does Voldemort wear? Think no. how think He's... how fucking stupid boots would look with a robe. Like, just a robe and boots? I'm going to be, like, sitting at work, like, trying to get something meaningful done, and all I'm going to be <laughs> able to think is what the fuck kind of shoes does Voldemort wear? I mean, he's not wearing fucking slippers, because that's not evil. But no. he's not wearing boots, either, because he wears... Dude wears just fucking bathrobe everywhere, in my mind. Well, everybody wears something a bathrobe like everywhere, and they still fucking wear that's shoes. That's true, they do wear shoes. But I feel like Lovo is kind of more loosey-goosey. No, uh, he absolutely wears shoes. So some kind of shoes. Maybe think, lace-up boots, I don't know. Yeah, I think, like, not, like, cute boots, but, like, boots. I'm sticking with, <laughs> I'm fucking sticking with boots. Toe like, shoes. Voldemort wears toe fucking shoes. Fucking tap shoes. <laughs> He's just like, yada da 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 da. He's got tap shoes on. I, I don't fucking know. Do you think he wears so like. Just derail like, you, this conversation. Is, he, is it dress shoes? Like, does he wear like no. pointy black Nothing dress too muggly. shoes? What kind of shoes does Dumbledore wear? Dumbledore, in my mind, wears like pointy kind of. Like elf, elf shoes? shoes? No, Dumbledore would wear boots. Dumbledore, we know he wears socks. Right, because he wants... Well, actually, we don't know that, because he's like, I want a comfortable pair of socks. Well, presumably that's because he likes to wear socks. That's true. What the fuck kind of shoes do adult wizards wear? I can imagine Minerva McGonagall's shoes. I cannot imagine Dumbledore in shoes, now that I think about it. I'm pretty sure Bellatrix Lestrange wears, like... She wears like sexy thigh yeah, high sexy boots. Thigh high boots. She I wears, think like, she actually boots. might do that in the movies. I mean, honestly, but, I know. don't think there's a movie in any universe in which Helena Bonham Carter appears in which she doesn't at one point wear sexy thigh high boots, except maybe the fucking crown now, which like, ugh. <laughs> but anyway, that's like probably in her contract. Like, uh, you got to put me in real hot boots. This was not scripted in. This outline. is not in our outline. <laughs> what the fuck kind of shoes does Voldemort uh, wear? It's making me crazy. We have to figure this out. Help us out, Quibblers. The game is afoot. Yeah, somebody send us a picture of Voldemort's shoes. You didn't laugh at my very good pun. The game is afoot? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I mean, it's not worth laughing at, but I will acknowledge it. Okay. We'll give I it thought call. you'd get a kick out of it. Oh my god. We have to talk about something else. The next thing that happens is so fucking sad. I mean, but all we can evergreen. think about is shoes. <laughs> That's an evergreen tweet for Deathly Hallows. The next topic is real just fucking sad. doleful as hell. Um, Harry just wears like trainers under his. I robes. think he's always wearing sneakers. Yeah. Oh my god, what shoes does Dumbledore wear? Buckles. Dumbledore wears oh, yeah. buckles. I think buckles. So it just comes back to Voldemort. What the fuck kind of shoes is he I wearing? I think he goes barefoot, and I think he is. Stepping on shit in this fucking house 
And he's like, ow, ah, fuck, god damn it. And that's why he's too slow to get to the window. No. But I'm even so, just no. him running, just apparate directly to the window. Why does he have to open the door, run through the house? Just Voldemort running errands in this way. It just seems very comical to me. I can't stop thinking about his feet. I'm not going to be able to move on with my evening. I can't stop thinking about what's on his feet. Uh, we got to get to the flashback. The green light flashed around the room and she dropped like her husband. The child had not cried all this time. He could stand, clutching the bars of his crib, and he looked up into the intruder's face with a kind of bright interest, perhaps thinking that it was his father who hid beneath the cloak, making more pretty lights, and his mother would pop up any moment, laughing. He pointed the wand very carefully into the boy's face. He wanted to see it happen, the destruction of this one inexplicable danger. The child began to cry. It had seen that he was not James. He did not like it crying. He had never been able to stomach the small ones whining in the orphanage. Avada Kedavra. And then he broke. He was nothing, nothing but pain and terror. And he must hide himself. Not here in the rubble of the ruined house where the child was trapped and screaming, but far away, far away. I had completely 100% forgotten another evergreen tweet for Deadly Hallows, but even more so in this case, I forgot that we got this whole flashback where Lovo is reliving his attack on the Potters. And Harry is like seeing it through his eyes, which is awful. I think one thing I find really interesting about this scene is this is actually the most complete rendering we get of this pivotal moment. We, and it's in the final book, we have never sort of seen what happens here head on. There are like mounting sort of flashes and like kind of these really scattered terrifying moments that Harry kind of pieces together in his memories, like from book one. Mm -hmm. But And with his interactions with Dementors because he can hear his mom screaming and things like that. But there's sort of a fucked up, catharsis I think as a reader to actually see the scene fully rendered because it's sort of like the center of yeah. the books but we haven't actually watched it happen so this is a a useful literary moment and seeing it through Voldemort's eyes I don't know I just think is a really fascinating and and successful choice that she makes also because it's sort of doubles up the like real fucked upness of Harry's experience because not only is Harry getting like a full clear moment by moment picture of the worst thing that ever happened but he's also experiencing it with Lovo's emotions yeah so he's having to like live inside of Lovo's like joy at killing his parents which is god poor fucking Harry <laughs> Like, what are we going to do for this poor boy? I don't know, man. There is a point sort of at the end of this chapter leading into the next one where Harry sort of starts to be able to acknowledge the level of psychic pain that he's in. He is starting to do some interesting introspection about like, like how fucked up it is, which is very, you know, it's just very indicative of, of his growth. He's actually kind of exhibiting some like self-knowledge. Oh my god. So this is like a really useful scene as a reader, but I'm just trying to imagine Harry having this experience is like really fucking dark. I was thinking the same things in terms of 
how this is cathartic for readers who've been following Harry this entire time. When I first read Deathly Hallows, I think because I was just speeding through the books, I was sort of, meh, this seems like jumbled. But now rereading it and seeing how she ties up the loose ends and concludes her themes, I think it's becoming one of my favorite books in the series. I don't think I was enough of a Potter aficionado before to really appreciate what she's doing in Deathly Hallows. And I think the scene is a great example of that. For me, it's also, you know, I read these along with sort of Harry aging. Like I was, as we've said before, the same age as Harry all the way through. And sort of coming back to this one, this is a book for young adults slash adults. Like this is, you know, the writing is still middle grade. It's still sort of like, accessible I guess in like literacy terms like if you were being very official about like grade level mm-hmm. reading but I'm just trying to imagine being a parent and I'm actually very curious if we have if we have parent listeners who are reading these books with relatively young kids because I can imagine reading like books one and two to like an eight-year-old But if you get through the whole Harry Potter series in a year, like all of a sudden you're fucking reading Deathly Hallows to an eight-year-old. Like, yeah, there's a double murder. There's a snake-infested corpse. Uh, Like this, the themes in this book have matured along with its characters in a way that makes it kind of hard to imagine it remaining accessible for young readers. Yeah, I have a I have a friend who is reading Harry Potter with her daughter. She's like in kindergarten or first grade. I, I I forget. But, you know, they're kind of speeding through it. And she asked she asked me, she's like, it gets pretty dark, right? Because she hasn't read through them all. And I was like, yeah. She's you reading might- these books with a young child not knowing what happens. Oh, my God. She has to, like, stop at book three. <laughs> like, honestly, you got to stop at book three and wait till the kid turns, like, 11. I, they're, like, partway through. I had to break it to her that Cedric dies. I was like, don't let her get too attached to Cedric. Although I was like, you know, that's an interesting opportunity for conversations about how children how sometimes dying. Happen. I don't know. But anyway, so she's so she's trying to like pump the brakes and get her interested in other books. She's like, what if we read uh, Harriet the Spy? But, you know, honestly, Potter- though, Harriet the Spy is about like psychological torture. So fuck that book. Yeah, I mean, good, good children's books kind of fuck you up. Harriet the Spy is especially upsetting. Yeah. Or like Dear Mr. Henshaw. That one's pretty dark too. I don't know if I ever read that. What happens in that one? He has this like, this guy is like writing to a kid's book author. This young kid is like writing to a kid's book author. And I think his parents are getting divorced or something. And the author's like not super into it, but like... He's kind of a dick, I think it turns out, but... Wow, The Fault in Our Stars fully ripped off Dear Mr. Henshaw. <laughs> I don't remember. The last time I read Dear Mr. Henshaw, I think it was read to me in second grade. Well, anyway, my friend is trying to kind of pump the brakes on Harry Potter, but Harry Potter is obviously fucking all-consuming, so all she wants to do is just, like, plow through Harry Potter. But, yeah, I'm also trying you know. to imagine being a child and somebody telling me that I had to stop reading the Harry Potter <laughs> books for two years while I, like, psychologically caught up to the themes, which so, I, mean, I think I would throw... That happened naturally for you because you had no other choice, but... Yeah, I had to wait for them to come out. Maybe, so. maybe parents just have to construct this elaborate hoax where the books are still coming out. I think... This is going to be a major, like, planning undertaking 
when we're parents. Like we're gonna have to be like, okay, real talk, how do we do this? Also, do we ever let our children listen to the quibbler? Answer, no. Probably not. But you know, the they'll internet, find it. Yeah, they'll find it as soon as they learn how to fucking Google. Um, so, I mean, what are you gonna do? Or they'll have like weird fucking microchips in their heads and it won't matter nothing matters um thinking about having children is making me spiral a little anyway (laughs) hi guys welcome to our marriage um one last thing that I want to touch on very briefly is Harry loses his wand which is a big fucking deal obviously and sets in motion a lot of sort of comically complicated plot elements that lead to the like elder wand shit and i don't know there's like some wand shenanigans there's a lot of wand logistics yeah there's a lot of logistics period in deathly hallows there's just so much like object play not you know what i mean (laughs) there's a lot of fucking objects that we have to keep track of yeah too many MacGuffins. yes redux but i do think losing the wand is another indication of something that i've talked about throughout this book was just this like gradual stripping away of everything Harry Potter has come to rely on in his sort of years as a wizard so that it's gonna be like just him and Voldemort in this really kind of naked way. Yeah. Like everything that he thinks he can count on to sort of be a tool against Slovo gets like physically wrenched from him throughout this book which I love I mean I just think that process is so satisfying because their sort of showdown it's like just Harry and like the profound loneliness that must just be welling up in him and it's just like everything he doesn't think he can lose he's losing yeah this wand has been responsible for multiple DSX machinas at this point yeah well, yeah, and he relies on it for, like, a very specific, like, wand lore reason. Also, Voldemort is out here killing all the wand makers. So there's a very <laughs> practical question of, like, can anyone make a wand? Yeah, they don't like, have a, they don't two have a, people could. There's not, like, a genius bar for, like, broken wands yeah. or whatever. Like, Ollivander's being tortured. Grigorovich is dead. Like, are there other wand people it's not just like i fix it like storefronts with like really bad typography or whatatever you know what i mean the place with that it, fix, your fix your broken screen, screen. yeah <laughs> i feel like they all look the same like no matter where you go totally and there's just like a thousand like iphone cases like hanging in the window there's no place like that and they have an orange awning yeah <laughs> i don't know if there's anything to this but it's kind of interesting that harry's wand is broken here because it's one of his it's also one of his connections to voldemort with the twin cores. This is also, I think, maybe the moment of the closest, like, psychic connection between Voldemort and Harry, where he's, like, reliving this murder. Yeah. And there is then this symbolic break. Yeah. Um, and literal break. That's interesting. Just want to call that out. Yeah. No, I think that's really valuable. I think that's really valuable. Okay, who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero are the two kids dressed as pumpkins in Lovo's memory, I think it's fucking adorable when kids, when little kids are dressed as pumpkins for Halloween. There's nothing fucking cuter. So their parents did a good job. And I'm glad Lovo didn't just fucking murder them. Yeah, me too. That was really upsetting when he thought about it. When I was growing up, we had like a clown costume and a pumpkin costume that were sort of like baby and toddler sized. And my sister and I just like switched off every year until we were like too big for both of them. So... 
I do think it's really cute when kids dress up as pumpkins. My unsung hero is kind of obvious, but I just, you know, want to send her off on a good note is Bathilda Bagshot, who was a very significant and valuable wizarding scholar in a world where we are not doing enough scholarship, clearly. Nobody pays attention to fucking anything in school. <laughs> the only wizarding academic just got fucking maybe killed by a snake, maybe died alone in poverty. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, she made enormous contributions to the stores of wizarding knowledge and died truly and deeply unsung. And that's very sad. She did not negotiate enough royalties for a history of magic. This week's episode is brought to you by the Potter House. Follow us on Instagram. I love following historical sites on Instagram. If you want to do something really excellent for your mental health, follow the James A. Garfield historical site on Instagram because it's so fucking pure and they post extremely bad, poorly lit, but really wonderful photos with like extremely earnest captions. And you learn a lot about James Garfield. I find it very soothing how... Just like how overwhelmingly boring the James A. Garfield Instagram posts are. Yeah, uh, I really like obscure national historic sites on Instagram. That's a shared interest of ours. Like they'll post just like a dimly lit hallway. And be like, do you remember this from your tour of the Garfield Museum? Yeah, every post on the James A. Garfield Instagram assumes that you have been and are going to visit the James A. Garfield house in Mentor, Ohio, like multiple times. Or they'll be like, here's a drinking fountain we just installed. Your tax dollars at work. There were like multiple posts in a row leading up to them getting new brown national park signs. If you're <laughs> if you're an American listener, like you know those signs, that like specific national park brown highway sign. Anyway, there were a lot of posts about the process of James A. Garfield National Historic Site getting new brown signs. And if, if we're ever in Mentor, we are... Definitely going. It's like, it's just like that episode of Parks and Rec where they're at the William Henry Harrison Museum. And there's like a ball of wax (laughs) that he like rolled down the street singing his like campaign song. (laughs) It's James A. Garfield. He's president for like 18 months. So, you know, there's not a lot to work with. Uh, All of which is to say we love the National Park Service. Visit the Potter House. The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Do whatever it is you do with podcasts. Listen to us where you find us. Rate and review us if you'd like to. Subscribe if it helps. Um, I don't know. I'm not that fussed with this kind of thing anymore. You know where to find us if you're listening. We're on Spotify. Tell someone else about this podcast we get a lot of very sweet word of mouth listeners so if you know someone that either really likes harry potter or like kind of like kind of likes harry potter but likes to bitch about it you've got to hit the sweet you gotta hit the sweet spot yeah you can't really like harry potter too much some (laughs) folks have had this podcast recommended to them and are like such pure and lovely fans that they think we are dicks (laughs) Which might be fair, but that's not the target audience. So if you know someone that's like, I can't hear a word against Harry Potter, don't recommend this podcast to them. Because that's how we get one-star reviews. 
which are valid, but we don't love. (laughs) Um, Anyway, we're also on social media along with the James A. Garfield National Historic Site. You can find us at Quibbler Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can subscribe to our newsletter, tinyletter.com slash quibblerpodcast. You can send us an e-owl, quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. Slide into our DMs as you see fit. And next time, we are probably going to be back on the two-chapter train. Although, this is a really long episode and all we talked about is Bethilda's secret. We also talked for a really long time about whether Voldemort wears shoes, <laughs> to be fair. I think when he killed the potter, he was also barefoot. I can't think about Just this anymore. Just throwing that out there. This is making my brain feel like it's on fire. I can't think about it anymore. <laughs> um, so next time we will be reading the chapters called The Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore and The Silver Doe. We will talk to you then. I hope we weren't too hard on James A. Garfield. They really are nice. No, it's pure as it's fuck. It's super pure. I genuinely love that Instagram account. That being said, they need like a ring light. <laughs> like they are not well lit photographs follow them. Thanks, amigos. And in the instant that he looked away, his eyes raking the tangled mess for a sword hilt, a ruby, she moved weirdly. He saw it out of the corner of his eye. Panic made him turn, and horror paralyzed him as he saw the old body collapsing and the great snake pouring from the place where her neck had been. Oh, hey!